Oh, alarm! A klaxon. Something's been detected. Or the or the engine's on fire. The I've enemy never... has raised the alarm. Give me the bearing. Uh, bearing 309. 308. 308. 307. 307. Is it changing? Of course it's changing. It's <laughs> time to get away. Welcome to Which Game First, where we boldly explore the hilariously huge world of board games. Did we unearth any hidden treasures you've been missing out on? Let's find out. First up... We guide the hand of nature to create lush flora across our planet in legendary forests. Next, Achtun mein Kapitan, sound the alarm, the battle stations await us in U-Boot. And lastly, we hedge our trivia smarts with clever bets in Wits and Wagers. I'm your host, Celeste DeAngelis. Now let's meet the rest of our brave and intrepid panel. Hi, I'm Evan Bernstein. Hey, looks like you got a board game in my computer. Hi, I'm Ed Povolaitis. Hey, there's a computer in my board game. This is Joe Unfried reporting from U315. Ah, we sprung another leak. Where are my puzzle pieces? Hi, I'm Mike Grenier, and Long Island Sound is lousy with U-boats. Hi, everyone. We wanted to thank all our fans for a great first year. Guys, what would be a good way to celebrate? Let's build a giant walrus out of old Volkswagens. Ooh, that's a good idea. But actually, we decided to run a contest on Board Game Geek, where you can win... A copy of the Colonel's secret recipe with his blend of 11 herbs and spices? How about hot and spicy board games like Wingspan, Gloomhaven, and U-Boot? So head to Board Game Geek today for your chance to get one of the hottest new games on us. And thanks, everybody, for making our first year such a success. Our first game up this week is Legendary Forests, designed by Toshiki Sato, published by Aiello Games in 2017. Number of players, 2 to 5, ages 8 and up, playtime 20 minutes. Okay, when we shined a light on this find, what were our first thoughts, Mike? Look, if you don't like the way I shape my lush forest, go grow your own planet full of magical flowers. Evan? I hope my green thumb in real life doesn't affect my floral arrangement skills in this game. <laughs> Ed? We get to grow an entire new world and fill it with lovely trees. Cool. Joe? The pieces are just beautiful to look at and should be delightful to play with. Ah, we're forest dryads growing beautiful planets of flowers. Let's pour some sage-infused water, cue up the Kitaro, and get playing. But before we stop to smell these roses... Evan, tell us how it's played. In Legendary Forests, you do indeed play dryads competing to build the best forest out of flower tiles and treeples. <laughs> Each player is given an identical set of tiles, but will arrange them in unique ways. The player who is named the architect will call out the numbered tile that everyone will be allowed to lay out each turn. Each player tries to arrange their tiles and place their trees in ways that will maximize victory points. If they can close in or finish the areas of flowers where they have placed trees, then they will earn double points. The player with the most victory points at the end of the game wins. So, treeples. That's <laughs> meeples, only they're trees. This sophisticated audience knows that. It's a circular disc and they cut negative face out of it that looked like a tree. It's Ooh. really cool looking. That's cool. Oh. Very zen. 
Yes. <laughs> like a Zen garden on your own planet. <laughs> oh, wow. It's pretty common for these uh, tile games to have that sort of theme where it's kind of a chill vibe. This game was originally published as 8-bit mock-up in Japan. Uh, it had really simple 8-bit style pictures and was about building a town, I'm going to say. Well, we've come across that in other games where you've got these squares that you sort of placed together in sequences and patterns and arrangements. And they do. They're towns. They're farms. It has something to do more with the, how should I a say? community of things. Yeah, kind of a right. community of things, but also not na- other than nature. You know, something people oh, have, right. have otherwise built. But in this yeah. game, it's all about florals and grass. <laughs> <laughs> a whole planet full of them, right? Yeah. So, I mean, the theme here is that you're a dryad building a planet of flowers. I'm not sure why they went with that instead of competing forests on the same planet. But hey, let's all have our own world. We're just imagining it anyway. So I guess that's (laughs) fine. It did allow them to create a really nice looking cover art. I like the theme for this game. I mean, it's obviously an abstract game. You're given a stack of tiles. You're placing them in front of you and moving them around into different formations to try and make the best combination of victory points. Now, when you're making groups, what determines how you get the victory points for them? When you combine the tiles together, together you're going to complete what they call a moon. And each moon is worth a point and an open area. If you manage to close the area, it was two points each. But the real trick is there's a limited supply of the tree tokens. And you only get to score those areas that have a tree in them. Uh-huh. Yeah, those tree tokens went pretty fast. We were halfway, about halfway done with the game, and I think they were pretty much all gone. Yes. So you're placing your trees fairly early in the game, and then you kind of have to figure out how to close in that area. Mm-hmm. Now, what constitutes closing it in? Do you have fences or something like that? It's actually when all the sides are enclosed. Oh, just have a piece touching them. So it's sort of like puzzle pieces where the end of a section will be in one of the pieces. So you're placing your tree and hoping with your fingers crossed that you're going to get the closeout section you need. But you have this architect, one of the players, saying which tile is next because he's flipping over a random assortment of tiles. And he's saying, okay, everybody, lay your tile number 15. And you're like, no, I really wanted tile number five. (laughs) Oh, so there's multiple copies of the same number, right? Everybody had the same exact set of 25 tiles. Oh. The architect randomly removes five of them, so you're not going to know which five are not in the game. You're only going to play 20. And only in a certain number that are, have the, uh, the light background are you going to get a place to tree. So it's random when you're going to be able to place trees on the board. It might happen early. It might happen later in the game. In our case, it happened early. Even though everybody's using the same set of tiles, we all created different forests. Each person's planet looked different. Oh, wait. So in other words, your number 15 looks exactly like somebody else's number 15. Absolutely. Yeah, but they could place it in any number of different places. So everyone's arrangement will be unique. And each one of these tiles is divided in up to four quarters that match up nicely and easily to each other. I mean, some of the tiles actually have all four quarters the same color. So you, you want to be careful putting those out because they'll be harder to close off. Oh, so you put the tiles squarely up against each other. Yes. Mike, sometimes a number will be called and you'll draw that tile. You won't be able to place that tile. You'll have no legal moves for that tile. And guess what? Into the wood chipper it goes. Tile 21. 20. Tile 21. 20. 
One. That sucked. It's Sucktober. Sucktacular? Sucktacular. Sucktober fast, yes. (laughs) No! (laughs) In the early stages of this game, it's like place and pray. (laughs) (laughs) And at the end, it's like desperate hope that you're going to get the right piece that you need to close stuff out. Okay, the next one needs to be 16, and I'm serious this time, okay? 16. Okay, the next pile is four. Curse you, Ed! It's the last. Curses! Curses! You get so many more points when you put a tree in there, so you really want to close it off. And that's the key decision here, too. Not just the tile placement, but the really cool mechanic is when it comes time to pick a tree, you got to pick one tree of those left in the pool because it's a limited resource and decide which area you want to try to score. Because only the area that has a tree gets scored. No matter how big an area you manage to make, if it doesn't have a tree in it, you won't score it. It is a lot of planning. Uh, and then there's a big element of hoping. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Lots of planning and also lots of hoping. Right. <laughs> Cross your fingers. I had two problems with this game. Number one, the excitement level's not there for me. Yeah, it's a chill vibe, Evan. It's chill. It is. I get it. I get it. And number two... No role-playing opportunity. There wasn't, there's not a character. There's not a face or a backstory or anything else you can kind of, you know, take that option to role-play off of if you want to do that, which I know this group tends to do every once in a while. <clears throat> I made up a character in the intro here. Huh? Yeah, I was going to say, if Mike was there, he would have played Beverly his dryad. How about some more flowers over here? The pink ones, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they they did specifically mention dryads in the description, and yet I, I didn't see any dryads or any specific indication of any supernatural beings or events. And it would play out about the same way if you were talking about mortal gardeners uh, trying to make the biggest and prettiest flower patch. And I'm okay with that. Well, your, your dryads were all on the back of your tiles. They were? <laughs> on the back of the tiles that you that you rarely see that never get placed in-game. Okay. <laughs> That's the thing about these tile placement games. It's, uh, it's easy to just lay a skin right on top, and just about anything will work. I don't mind a thin theme when the game is this simple. While simple, it's very easy to teach, and it plays in about the same amount of time, whether there's two players or five players, because it's just all happening at the same time. Yeah, simultaneous actions are hard to program into a game, but when you can do them, it saves a lot of time, and it's a lot of fun, because everybody's always engaged. Oh, I love that. And I liked a little bit of strategy in the game in the sense that everybody had the same resources available to them. So you're on equal footing for the most part. Yeah, it's great to take the luck element out of it that way. Yeah, although there is a big fat luck element in hoping that you get the right tile. (laughs) Right, Celeste? (laughs) Come on, Ed, pull tile number 12, tile number 12. (laughs) No, never came up. When we played the tile laying game Lanterns, there were side goals, meaning different ways to gain victory points, extra additional bits to the game that made it even more complex and a little bit customizable. I like that. I liked it in Lanterns, but I don't mind it being absent here. This might be a great gateway game to tile laying before you get into more complex levels. Absolutely. I agree. This is a very good introductory game. It sounds like it has room for an expansion, though, that adds those kind of things later. Well, the first edition was that the 8-bit mock-up was actually only for 2 to 4 players, and they expanded it a little bit to make it for 2 to 5. Okay, explorers, get your shovels out. It's time to dig up or bury Legendary Forests. Ed? This is a very nice filler game. It's easy to teach, play quickly, and very inviting to look at. Dig it up. Joe? 
this game can run very fast because there aren't that many moves to make, or very slow if everyone's working to make their patches as humongous as they can. But I'll dig it up either way. Evan? Quick tile placement game, some strategy, nice enough art, but I found it a bit too boring for me. Not exciting enough. I'm going to bury it. Mike? Well, I didn't get the chance to play this game, but the idea of making an entire planet full of flowers sounds kind of fun, so I look forward to it. Even though it is very similar to other tile placement games I have played, I think its theme, look, and pacing make it one of the good ones. Dig it up. You can find this game online for about $20. And if you have thoughts about Legendary Forests, let us know. We are at Which Game First on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Our next game up this week is U-Boot, the board game, designed by Bartosz Pluta and Artur Salwarowski. Published by Phalanx in 2019, number of players 1 to 4, ages 12 and up, playtime 30 to 120 minutes. Okay, when we pulled this one from the watery depths, what were our first thoughts? Mike? Spending some time on a sinking ship sounds fun, right? Evan? Remember the movie Das Boot from the early 1980s? Yeah, that. Ed? Captain, contact, Baron 349, 2500 meters. Appeared to be a 90 centimeter cardboard submarine. (laughs) (laughs) Joe? Given my family's history with Operation Drumroll, better known in the U.S. as the Battle of the Atlantic, I was eager to try this out. I am a sucker for board games that come with a digital companion app. And this app looks super high production value. But before we dive, dive, dive into it, Evan, tell us how it's played. U-Boot, the board game, is a real-time tabletop game of World War II submarine warfare. Players assume the roles of the captain, the first officer, the navigator, and the chief engineer of a type VIIC U-Boat. The captain oversees the completion of mission objectives, supervises action point costs, and is responsible for the crew's morale. The first officer operates the companion app, manages the flow of information, and takes care of the crew's health. The navigator steers the submarine by setting its course and depth, but also updates all the essential information on the strategic and the tactical map. Last, but not least, is the chief engineer, who is responsible for the engines, repairs, as well as other mechanical implements. At the same time, each officer commands his own group of crew members. The companion app provides the ambient sound and models all the essential instruments of the U-boat for a real-time, realistic gameplay experience. Yavol. Yavol. Yeah, there was a lot of yavoling in this game. <laughs> we, we need to learn some more German phrases, apparently. <laughs> Evan had another phrase. What was yours, Evan? This U-boat had one word to define every aspect of our entire mission throughout the game. <laughs> <laughs> and that is Totwasser or death water. Oh. <laughs> we we're gonna we're gonna go out, we're gonna kill as many things or destroy as many things as possible or absolutely sink to the bottom in trying. So either way, it was Totwasser. <laughs> All or nothing. All in. That's right. That was yeah, our Yeah, we theme. were a committed crew. And how did we do? <laughs> I must say, quite well. Yeah, nice. Captain. So are there other goals besides just destroying other ships? Oh, yes. There's a ton of stuff. 
I've never played anything like it. I was the first officer and I got to control the digital app that came along with it. And it (laughs) mimicked instruments that you would find on a real submarine, which was super cool. Like the hydrophone where you would spin the dial to listen for enemies out there on the water. And the app actually plays the sound so you can hear them? Oh yeah, the sound effects are really cool. Our our crew's in position. I'm in in position. Engineer. Engineering is in position. Very well. New depth, eight meters. Sir, good. Periscope, is the periscope operator in position? Yes, I am. You guys would have been remiss if you didn't have Celeste in charge of that app. (laughs) (laughs) I I think that was the correct assignment. If you're the first officer, be prepared to multitask because you are explaining to the rest of the crew what's happening. So if a repair pops up or if a message comes in from HQ or if a ship is spotted on the horizon, all that comes in through the app. Then you disseminate the information to the rest of the players and they take action on the board. Wow. So they have to take action according to what you say to them, not what they actually hear from the app. Reports around the ship are coming in through the app and then they act upon them. Wow. So there's like an interpretation level in between the app and the other players. Oh, absolutely. If I didn't hear select correct in uh, the bearing of uh, the enemy, I would get it wrong when I'm plotting the course for it. <laughs> and if I didn't hear him report back to me what course we should set, which I did mistake a couple of times, we'd be off course. So like, for example, he may have given me a, a, a bearing of 050 to enter into the submarine and I entered just zero five, then we'd be off course. So (laughs) it was, it's a really great communication game and a really great way to devise communication. So the, the app was integral and seamless. I thought it really, it really does highlight the need for cooperation in order to succeed. Oh, this is the ultimate co-op game. This is really cool to see the, technology we have now integrating its way into games in a really good way in a smart way and yet the board itself was not at all secondary there were lots of physical instruments to use as well i mean ed what was the instrument you were using well i had the navigator tool to actually give you a map plus a protractor plus a ruler that was set for the navigation on the strategic map and i also had an attack disc where you plot in the bearing of the contact, your course, and with the direction that your contact was going. This way you can plot a good attack on your target. It was really cool how you were using that device. I was so impressed. Like, how am I giving him a bearing, which I'm easily reading off a computer screen? He's wiggling around this device and coming up with the correct bearing to chase them. It's a real tool they use in the war. I know. Amazing. It was really exciting. And Joe was playing the engineer and I was really hoping he would get to the tactical puzzle. What's the tactical puzzle, Joe? When a hull breach takes place, you have to be aware of where it has happened. And then you have to conduct repairs both in the area where the breach happened and in the areas immediately adjacent to the place where the breach happened. And that is simulated by taking some of the 16 puzzle pieces and assembling them perfectly within a time limit. Yeah, under the gun. 
So it's like hull breach, hull breach, hull breach. I'm yelling it from the from the bridge, <laughs> and he's down in the he's down in engineering, desperately trying to repair every portion of the ship that needs to be repaired, which is represented on this sort of com- complex little puzzle that he's working. No on. pressure, no pressure. Like there's some piece of twisted metal. I'm like, where does this thing go? <laughs> <laughs> Great. If you don't know, we're really in trouble. <laughs> now our fearless leader Evan mm-hmm. rightly brought a captain's hat with him. He did earn uh, the fearless part of his uh, reputation. He definitely did. Evan, how did you like the layout of the submarine? Because that was pretty much all about you, ordering people to different locations of that 3D sub that was set up in the center of the board. The 3D sub is is a wonderful part of the game. It has the sides cut away, so you can see sort of this, you know, just opening and have access from either side of the table of the submarine to each of the six different areas of the submarine. Gives you an idea of sort of an appreciation for what a bulkhead is and how the different sections work. And also the fact that you've got this basically one very thin line of area down the center where the crew can travel back and forth. So when you call out the order for mobilization of the crew... It takes up one of your order slots, and you understand, though, that it's because there's this one narrow corridor. You have to efficiently move as many people of your crew along that narrow corridor in the correct direction as possible to prevent having to give out multiple mobilization orders. So I think the submarine is a really good representative of just how efficient you must, must be on a submarine. Otherwise, things will fall apart quite quickly. I mean, if anybody's ever visited one of those submarines, like on the New York Harbor and stuff, you'll see just how tight it is in those hallways. (laughs) Yes. So Evan, you as the captain were in charge of the morale as well, as you said. How did that work out for you? The morale issue that you have on a submarine crew is something you have to be (laughs) aware of at all times because your morale can drop pretty darn quickly if things start to go south inside a submarine. And there isn't exactly many spaces (laughs) that you can go to blow off steam, you know. (laughs) So let's just put it that way. So it's important. Uh, Fortunately, I was able to condense the orders tight enough that we didn't come into these confusing issues in which the morale started to go down, down, down. However, I did have certain things at the ready to raise the morale of the crew as needed. For example, I could call for a cigarette break. Okay, everyone on, everyone's on break now. Smoke them if you got them. Oh my God, they smoked in a submarine? No, no, no. You had to go up yeah. top deck for that. We'd, we would have to be on the surface oh, on the okay. deck in order to do it, but that would boost your morale. Or I can issue rations of chocolate bars to, every, to everyone, and that'll up the crew's mor- morale. No rum, huh? Uh, well, no, there was alcohol as well if things started to get to the point in which you needed to go to more extreme measures. Of, uh, yeah. <laughs> Things got really desperate. <laughs> I, th- I think that would have been schnapps. Didn't even approach the point of where I had to play my pistol cards, which is like the last resort for the captain if he's losing all control by that point. What, do you just shoot somebody and as an example? <laughs> Essentially, yes. You're making an example of someone or at least pulling your gun to show you mean business. Wow. Oh, man. 
Wow, Captain! I I hope you I hope you got a steady trigger finger. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to fire a pistol inside of your submarine. <laughs> if you miss the guy you're shooting at, you, you that bullet's going to be chasing everybody around. Then yeah. Joe's going to be real busy. Yeah, the engineer will be on that. Get out the technical puzzle. The captain just <laughs> dispense justice. And it comes after you've dr- you you're drinking all your grog and rum and everything. So oh. you got so you potentially you're a drunk pistol waving captain at a certain point of this game. Yeah. Fortunately, we never. <laughs> got to that part. Although I think my role playing could have actually, you know, I could have handled that role playing, I think. Boy, I can't wait to play again until you you get to that situation. I really want to see you in that situation. Wow. I almost want to play so I can drive you to that situation. We we chose the uh, beginner mission, the uh, introduction mission or the training uh, mission. Training mission, Ed. Thank you. So the chances of us having gotten to that level of desperation. I think we're pretty low to begin with. Yes, play the training mission, but then go back and you want to start playing some of those harder, more difficult missions. You really want to put your own skills to the test in this game and see what sort of obstacles come up in your path. (laughs) I absolutely want to go back and do this multiple times. There's so much there that we haven't even touched. So the different missions have different parameters to them, like your morale might start off lower or there's different kinds of enemies or what are some examples of other missions? You can play a campaign game which will go through a progression. Like, for example, your first task might be to get out to the Atlantic. After you get to the Atlantic, you're going to have to work with a wolf pack in order to find the convoy and sink it. A campaign of this game? That would be great. Then you could really get a character going. I think even though we played a simple mission, there was quite a bit of urgency. Joe, I know you as the engineer were constantly strapped. Yeah, I I had four people directly beneath me reporting to me, and I always had to poach you know one of your guys actually to you know to chip in. So, do the people working under you represent like actions that you can take, like numbers of actions or something? Yes, it's uh, it's a worker placement function, and each one of them uh, is competent to make you know to make basic repairs. You would implement repairs within the app, so the the engineer would prep all his men, get everybody in place, organize the repairs, and then I would enter it in. I would say to the app, "Okay, we're ready. We have our men in place. We're commencing the repair," and the app would tell us how long. Right? The app would keep track of the repair. So it would tell us when it was done and we're like, oh, hurry up with this repair. <laughs> now that's that part of the game is turn-based though, right? Like it'll tell you how many turns the repair is going to take? No, the game oh. is real time. The game never stopped. I mean, you can pause the game, but it's intended to keep it going the whole time. Oh, that's awesome. So you really feel that pressure, yeah. Oh, yeah. So naturally, you're not going to be in real time the whole time. For example, if you're in transit, you can click the transit button, which will speed up time. Because let's say your mission is 45 hours long or, you know, or 75 (laughs) hours. Well, you didn't want to play it in real time. (laughs) Right. So there are certain modes you can go in to make things faster. And then the slowest mode is real time, which you definitely want to be in for certain portions of this game. And you're going to have to be in when you're taking, you know, most of your actions. Wow. So there was a lot of screaming and yelling, huh? Yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Joe, didn't you have an uncle that served on a U-boat? My uncle, Hunzi Unfried, had a sturdy build, a gregarious nature, and a booming voice. And he was really good at languages. I can't believe you had an uncle old enough to serve on a U-boat. Well, my father just turned 80 
and Hunzi was at least 15 years older than him. It might have been closer to 20 years older than him. And uh, he was posted on one of those submarines that would head out through the Skagerrak to intercept convoys. Uh, in addition, Fred Tim, an American who married my great aunt Rosa von Lima Tim, spent most of World War II manning one of the very American convoy ships those U-boats were targeting. Hunzi and Fred were both fortunate enough to survive the war. Okay, explorers, it's time to dig up or bury U-boot. Joe? Given my family history and how smooth this game plays despite its intriguing complexity, I can't imagine not digging this up. Evan? I like games where each player assumes a different role in a cooperation-style game. This one's theme totally hits the mark. For those reasons alone, it's worth digging up. Mike? Well, Evan, my morale is a little bit low right now. <laughs> Don't pull out the pistol, but I did not get to play this game, and I cannot wait to try it. It sounds amazing. Ed? It's a very cool simulation of operating a U-boat. Some folks won't like the requirements of an app for the game, but I think it adds a tremendous amount of theme and tension to the game. Dig it up, Captain! This game is solidly innovative and colorfully immersive. Dig it up. Ed, where can you find this game? This game was successfully funded in 2018 by Kickstarter, and it has recently reached many retail outlets, run for about $100. If you have thoughts about U-Boot, let us know. We are at Which Game First on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Our last game up this week is Wits and Wagers, designed by Dominic Crapuchettes, published by North Star Games in 2005. Number of players, 4 to 20. Ages 10 and up. Playtime, 25 minutes. Okay, when we brush the sands away from this find, what were our first thoughts? Mike? I think trivia will be so much more enjoyable if I get to hedge my bets. Evan? Trivia in a casino game? I'll take those odds. Ed? Don't worry about your answer. Just bet on Joe. That's where the real money's at. <laughs> Joe? I get to bet on trivia questions? And it's simple? Sounds like the ultimate party game. Yeah, if you stink at trivia but are great at the dog track, this game may be for you. But before we guess about stuff like how tall are the letters in the Hollywood sign, Evan, tell us how it's played. In Wits and Wagers, each player writes down a guess to a question where the answer is always a number. For example, the question might be, in what year did the comic book Superman debut? Or, how many feet long is a basketball court? Wits and Wagers is also a betting game because the players then place their answer face up on a betting mat. Think you know the answer? Bet on your guess. Think you know who the experts are? Bet on their guess. The closest answer, without going over, pays out according to the odds on the betting mat. This is the game where your knowledge of number-based trivia questions can finally pay dividends in real life. <laughs> Boy, I've been waiting for this day to come. <laughs> I, I'm chomping at the bit. doesn't even start to describe it. I wonder if anybody plays this game for real money. <laughs> I'm sure it has happened. Designing this game with numbers-only answers was brilliant. It allows you to arrange the answers on the mat easily every single time. And I love the vetting table. That's where the action is at. Yes, it comes with a felt <laughs> carpet. You lay it out. You place the answers because they're written on a little dry erase board. So you write your answer on a dry erase board. You lay it out on the bedding 
carpet in the right position, four to one, three to one, two to one payouts, and then you start betting. Celeste, do you remember when you were unpacking the game and you pulled out the felt green you know, betting sur- <laughs> betting surface, that Kelly green, yep. indistinguishable, mm-hmm. you know, poker table felt. Oh my gosh, we all got excited so much. <laughs> I had no yeah. idea it was going to be in there. So when I opened the box and saw it, <laughs> I literally unfolded it and held it above my head. Like you a beamed. victory song. You beamed. <laughs> yes! Yeah. The board it's looks a- like a football field, and that makes it seem like you're at a Super Bowl party. And the presence of the betting chips make it seem like it's poker night. <laughs> so you got football and poker. Bam. Yeah. Something for everybody. I mean, come on, four <laughs> to 20 players? That's an awesome thing right there. Yeah. <laughs> so if you had 20 players, would it actually play well? Yeah. I think it would play great with a bunch of people because the game encourages you to play as teams and bet as teams. And I think teams would work really well in this game. So there, I could imagine great arguments with it's like, no, bet on Mike's answer. No, no, bet on Ed's answer. <laughs> You know Joe always got the right answer. Go there. (laughs) The chips that came with the game were okay, but, you know, just really basic poker chips, ones and fives. If you're playing with 20 people, one of your gamer friends has one of those suitcases full of nice-feeling resin poker chips that you could use, I'm sure. I would have a lot of fun playing with really nice poker chips with this game. As Ed said, the smart money was almost always on Joe. So we all went, we went all in on Joe. How many times did that pay off and how many times did you get beat up by that? The one thing that made it a little bit trickier to bet on Joe was you had to bet on the number that was closest without going over. A little Price is Right action there. Yeah. So if somebody said 1967 and then somebody said 1969 and then somebody said 1972, it was hard to decide. And then somebody said 2000 BC. (laughs) Right. (laughs) The 2000 BC could win. Exactly. There were a few that were close, really close. You know, this segment isn't just about the game, Wits and Wagers. This this is about why Dominic Krapuchet's a great designer. Laser sharp focus on a few well-chosen details that click. I mean, we're all so happy that he's no longer, you know, fishing out in the Atlantic uh, Ocean or the Pacific <laughs> Ocean like he used to do. Well, it was off Alaska, life. so it was probably the Pacific. Yeah, I'm super glad he's designing games for us now. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Okay, explorers, it's time to dig up or bury wits and wagers. Ed? I'm not much of a fan of trivia games, but this betting element had just enough excitement to dig it up. Joe? You can get every question wrong and still win if you're good at figuring out which of your opponents are good at which questions. Use your own guess to mislead the other players and then make an educated guess on which of the answers is actually right. Dig it up. Evan? Trivia. Betting. Everyone plays. No one's ever 100% out. Well-paced. Easy to learn. Easy to play. Dig it up. Mike? Well, trivia is not usually my bag, but after hearing what you guys had to say about it, I'm ready to take a gamble on this one. Trivia games are one of my favorite social pastimes, especially when it works as hard as this one to include everyone at all levels. Dig it up. Evan, where can you find this game? Readily available online and at your local game store. New copies run around $25. You can find used copies anywhere from $10 to $15. If you have thoughts about wits and wagers, let us know. We are at Witch Game First on Twitter, 
Facebook, and Instagram. And that brings us to the end of our show. If you'd like more perks and content from us, including our weekly post-show episode just for our patrons, for just $3 a month, you can go to our website and click on Become a Supporter Today. If you get a chance, leave us a rating or a review on your favorite podcaster. It really helps others find the show. Join our chat on our Discord server. We are at Witch Game First, and our Patreon supporters get access to exclusive channels. Happy gaming, explorers! Joe used the word portmanteau the other day, and I was impressed. Thanks, Evan. Want to go over those Wikipedia links from those listicles I emailed? Let's grab brunch at the motel and watch the telethon. If you don't know what a portmanteau is, turn off the sitcoms, grab your Funyuns, wander through the smog of the internet, and find out.